Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. This episode of Dubai Works is sponsored by Step Conference 2023, the leading tech festival for emerging markets. The highly anticipated event will be returning to Dubai Internet City for its 11th edition on February 22nd and February 23rd with a new retro-futuristic approach and experiences including one-on-one investor meetings, pitch competitions, workshops, keynotes, panels, debates and so much more. Grab your tickets on www.dubai.stepconference.com. Another very busy week with lots going on in Dubai. We had the World Government Summit where Elon Musk spoke and a lot of leaders were in town. There was a number of events around the town. Samsung had an event, Shahid had an event. Uh, it's Ramadan planning. Uh, there's lots of conferences coming up. But this week we spoke to a fashion designer and someone who knows the industry really, really well. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we're joined by Deborah Henning, fashion guru and serial entrepreneur. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. Uh, so, mentor and speaker also works worked with renowned mass names in retail and fashion, including Alexander McQueen, uh, Sasson Bride, and Majid Al Fatame. So today, we're going to talk about all about. Deborah Henning brand, your story, your background in the industry, uh, the fashion industry in, in Dubai in general, and your plans for the future. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So we're friends from a long time ago, <laughs> yeah. but I've always known you as a designer. So how did you get into it? Uh, my design story started probably when I was about 15. Um, I didn't know what to do in my GCSE at school. And the art teacher was like, you know, why don't you like do something fun that you love? I was like, all right, I'll make a dress or something, you know, like one of those. And I did it and it turned out well. And he's like, right, do it for your exam. Like, don't, you know, I was going to change it to something else. And he was like, no, no, don't change it. Do it, do it for your final exam so you can build upon that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. So then I spent the next like year developing where I and at my GCSE, I, I, you know, got the A star or whatever I needed. And I was like, ah, oh, I might be all right at this actually. That was in art. That was in art, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was, he probably gave me the, the key to be like, do something that you love and enjoy it for the next year, you know, while you do your art GCSE. And by the time I'd got to the end of that, I thought, actually, I really quite like this. Then I went to college and whatever. By the time I graduated college, I was like, okay, really, like this is something that I can definitely, you know, I have a passion for it and I want to, I love to create. So I went to uni, graduated from uni with my degree, first class honors degree. And then of, of course, naive and the, the character that I am, I was like, I'm going to start a business. So like pretty much like not far out of uni. I, I, did, I did work at Alexander McQueen and I did go to Sasson Bide in Sydney. So I did have some experience under my belt, but literally wasn't very much. And I was like, right, I'm going to start a brand. And off I went and I got a little bit of investment and pounded onto the streets of London with my, you know, designs and, and there and there, that's where it started. Yeah. Wow. And so I uh, described at the start, but so what, what do you do today? What is it now? So today I still run my fashion label. So it's 18 years ongoing. Um, Deborah Henning is the label. 
And I have recently started a consultancy. Well, I say recently, it's like seven years in now, but um, I've been working for other brands, designing and developing for them. And more recently, it's kind of turned into nurturing other entrepreneurs and startups to help them on their way because I know how difficult it is and I know what it takes and it takes a lot. So to build a brand, how do you build a brand? How do you do it? How do you get from A to B without taking you know, 20 years to do it, basically. Wow, <laughs> yeah. wow, amazing. So much to unpack there. But I think let's take them one by one. So Deborah Henning, the brand, how, you know, can you walk through like what your journey was like uh, from when you said on the streets of London, you, you know, what what is the industry like? Uh, do you do you get involved in all the fashion weeks? Do mm. you are you on this deadline of having to release new catalogs and yeah. um, everything all the time? Yeah, it's brutal, <laughs> <laughs> especially as a startup. It's, you know, I was really young as well. I was like 20, 21 when I started my brand. So, um, you know, I kind of set out with a little bit of capital um, and. I just kind of didn't really, I just kind of thought, I'm just going to make beautiful clothes and see what happens. And I did get into On Off, which is an off-schedule show at London Fashion Week, which was, again, like looking back, really good. Um, I got interviewed by Vogue and like, I did not have a clue what I was talking about. And I made so many mistakes. I was just so young and green, you know. Um, then I got uh, into a store in on Carnaby Street. Kingly Court, they actually gave us the store to use and it was on the Metro newspaper and all these things that are like incredible things for a young brand to happen. Mm. But I was just really, I was just so like determined. I was, you know, the, I just had the fire, like I was going to do it and I was going to, you know, be out there. But, and I did uh, events with clients and private clients and all this type of stuff. But, but it is brutal. It's like a really hard industry to break into, especially when you've not got a team and especially when you've not got any funding behind you. Like I'm talking about funding. I had like, I think 20,000 pounds or something like that. And that lasted me like five years as well. So mm. it didn't really... It, I didn't use it for marketing and that type of thing. I used it produ to produce the product and try and get, make my way and, and develop my name, you know. So, yeah. And then when I got the opportunity to move to Dubai, uh, I took a break actually because I was like, this is a whole new world. Like, I don't know what's going on in the, in the Middle East. I didn't have a clue about Dubai. So I took my time, developed my, I kind of grew up a bit in, a, in those couple of years, you know, like I just took a couple of years off and I was like, right, what is it that I love to do? What am I going to build? What am I going to grow? And I really sculpted that aesthetic, that identity that I really want to develop into a, into a brand that I can keep forever. I think my brand in London was a bit like young. There's lots, lots of colors and prints and it's not something that I would particularly wear anymore. What were you, what were you making? Was it dresses? Yes, yeah, yeah. singles and dresses and stuff like that, but it was a lot more evening wear type thing mm. um today the brand is minimalist uh it's lots of black whites grays tans things you can actually wear it's luxury day wear you know and then you can just put on heels and wear it at night time but it's that lovely kind of um considered design that is oh that's different that's a little bit something different but she's wearing it in the day and it's beautiful quality you know it's that kind of balance between those two things um and i think that's resonated a lot with customers because that's you know in today's day and age people want things that that are beautiful yeah. to wear, they feel nice in them and they last a really long time. Like a lot of my clients come back and they've just got, I've still got that from 10 years ago. I've still got that from seven years ago okay. and they love the quality of it. So I've loved building that kind of, um, th those pillars into the brand to make sure it's really like something that people enjoy wearing. Has it changed, uh, probably has as much as the output has changed in what people can buy and how it looks, but has it changed from a business point of view 
in you know how you manufacture how you source your materials and uh, your distribution where your brand is available how has that changed over the years I mean essentially it's still fundamentally the same type of pro- process in that you know you have wholesale clients where you you know obviously you have to mark up to a certain extent so you can sell to B2B I sell B2B um, and what you, does B2B mean in the business sense? to business so yeah. I can sell like to Harvey Nichols or I can okay. sell and they do have different ways to sell to them whether it's consignment or whether they buy wholesale or things like that and do they Hence, buy you're an independent brand and mm-hmm. they buy independent brands like that that's normally how they work well in you, in the glory days that's <laughs> how they worked you know yeah. like I had, a, I had a meeting with a with a store a couple of days ago that's in London and they they're asking now for uh, fees to be in the store plus a, f- a percentage of the sales so back in my day you know you, a buyer would come and they'd be like I love the collection I want to buy this 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 I'll have 50 of those 30 of those 20 of those and you know you'd, you'd have that cash flow in the business mm. to be able to then produce that collection for them and for four other stores or whatever, and you have that cash flow, you'd have 50% of that money, and then they then you'd ship it to them, they would pay you, and then you'd have that money for next season. That's how it worked. And it was fabulous because the designers weren't, you know, the ones taking all the hit for everything. It was like, no, we believe in your brand. We're going to pay you to make it, to put it in our store. Whereas now it's like you're paying them their rent <laughs> and you're giving them 30%. And if it doesn't sell, you get it all back. And it's like, you have to hold the stock. You're the one that's putting out, you know, putting up all the uh, risk. And it's like, when did this shift happen? And so <laughs> it's really quite hard for, for new brands starting today that, that especially in this region, like I'm not sure. I think obviously when you do trade shows in France and London and New York, I'm, I'm sure people are still buying wholesale and that kind of traditional method is still prevalent, but there is a, a lot of brands, especially um, up and coming stores that kind of say, well, well, can we have it for free? We'll try and sell it for you. And so it's a lot of pressure. Amazing. Uh, interesting. But so in Dubai, uh, how long has your brand been available in Dubai? Since 2014. Okay. And the manufacturing process, so how you produce what you do, has that changed in this region? No, for me, no, because I'm, I was lucky enough to find a factory that would produce small amounts for me because that's another massive problem that a lot of young brands have mm. is that they've got an option of going to Satwa and getting clothes made and it's not very good or trying to do it overseas and then you need to do 300 minimum of one style. And imagine, you know, you need a collection of 15 pieces, 20 pieces times 300, that's a lot of stock. That's a lot of outlay. Like you need $20,000 to be able to do that. And not a lot of brands do. So then they have to compromise on like, okay, I'm going to make it with this small tailor can make five for me, but the quality's not there. You know, it's like, okay. yeah, and you really have to be lucky to find someone. So when I started out, I did loads of research into factories and I actually found one that do massive brands in the UK and she just happened to be English and like, like the brand. And she, she, um, just followed my enthusiasm for it and said, yeah, I'll help you and I'll back you and we'll grow with you type thing. So, so I was lucky enough to... So she's a tailor, she has a small <clears throat> factory in the UK and she's still, all the years... She she's still, here, actually. She's here. But she's British, yeah. And it's, they do, they can run out 50,000 pieces a day. So they're pretty big. And they make it in, du- in UAE, in Dubai. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, so that's the kind of... I'm trying to put the pieces together. So you're, you're the brains, you're the designer, you still draw the dresses. Yeah. <laughs> You've got this amazing partner here who produces it for you and then you go into the the stores and that's that's the whole that's the flow 
Basically, yeah. So I'm doing all the creative direction in that I'm deciding what the brand look and feels and mm. colors and palettes and shapes and all that stuff. I have a team that helped me do that um, because it's a lot. Also, you need to bash the ideas around, right? You need to kind of generate. Um, then production is with the factory. Again, I oversee that and I quality control everything myself. Um, and then it comes back to me ready to go. And then I deal with contacting the stores and getting in stores, getting into magazines, speaking to clients, the flow of customer events things like that it's all it's all back to me is it i I know we get into the other things that you're doing but i'm trying you know i I hear stories of like victoria beckham and how it's struggle to make Mm. a business out of this stuff is it possible if you run it well is it possible to make margins yeah absolutely it really is but you have to there is a way to kind of get it right i suppose and i feel like all the elements need to be in the right place um you know people like victoria beckham i'm pretty sure have massive teams like I don't know how many she's got on her team but I'm sure there's a way to scale that back and make it work Um, I'm sure that their PR and marketing budget is ginormous so to even cover those costs I'm sure they have to turn over a fair amount of money you know but if you're a smaller brand you can manage that there's a very small tipping point between you know breaking even and actually making money but the profit margin on is good if you can, if you do it right. Mm. And that's why, you know, I work with a lot of brands because it's like, how do you get it right? You know, how do you, and it's not just fashion brands, it's like any brand. How do you build that need for something? How do you get someone to buy into your company without without knowing you that well, because you're a new company? Um, Grow that customer, you know, like they really feel like they're part of the company. At the same time, offer a product that you can make money on Mm. and make a living out of, you know. And then once you've got that money, where do you put it? Where do you invest it back? And how do you grow? And there's a lot of, there's a, you could, I could talk all day about (laughs) what that entails, but I think there's when you're starting out, there's just so much, you know, even just the basics of like, like you said, like producing fabrics and, and designing and developing and drawing like drawing's a thing on its own like yeah. what do you do do you draw it yourself you have to com- you have to communicate that with a factory like all these small things forget about like sales and marketing and profit margins and, and cash flow it's like <laughs> so <laughs> but on the, on the sales and marketing side because you know we see a lot of the fashion industry we see all, all these fashion weeks and then dresses for celebrities and gala events and things like that do is is that costly to to play part of that industry is is that where expense yeah. can get eaten up yeah absolutely i mean fashion weeks in themselves the shows are super expensive but brands can go so t- actually london fashion week or new york fashion week is actually a trade show so it's so attached to these shows there is a place where buyers can go into a massive hall and there's lots of little stands of all the brands showing you know all the brands so you can buy a stand there so you can be so you know someone can be on the runway um, Balenciaga can be on the runway and you can be in the in the trade show so technically technically the people that are going to the trade show to watch the shows could pass by your brand you know mm. so it's the right place to be but yeah that costs money it's not that those types of trade shows aren't hugely costly but it is costly in that you have to consistently be there so you need to be there twice a year or at least once a year for a couple of years to build that kind of and you what's, know, what's your strategy for that you just need to show, you just need to show up. Yeah. You've got to be, you've got to, if you're going to do it, you need to commit. So decide which fashion week's for you. So there's different ones, lean better to different types of brands. And then have a budget to be there for at least three seasons, four seasons, five seasons. So that when the buyers come, they go, oh, I saw her last time. Because if you remember, and as you well know, people need to see you like eight, nine, ten times before they 
would buy into your product, even if it's, you know, uh, on an email and then a trade show and then you get sent something, you know, a buyer's not just going to be like, yeah, here's my money. Mm. You have to be present and you have to reiterate that brand story over and over and over again. Then you have to be, you know, sell the brand also. And then it has to be a nice product. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to kind of take in and work around. And at the same time, you need to be consistent. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so when, when you're working with other brands, because uh, you know what's needed for your brand. And in this region, in the last, say, 10 years, we've seen a lot more sort of, like in every industry, we've seen a lot more entrepreneurship and mm. people trying things out. When you say the consultancy part, is it with uh, new emerging apparel fashion brands or is it with uh, designers wanting to start out a career or who are you kind of working mm. with? So up to date, I've been doing brands that are starting up. I've actually, before that, I did, I worked with a lot of massive retailers. I did a lot of work for them, like developing their uniforms and all these types of things. But I'm moving more towards working with startups because I just find it like, I love to build, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I think in my past life, I might have been a builder, but <laughs> I love to build and grow and see things moving. So it really excites me when I work with a brand that has got lots of potential and we're working together where we can see movement um, and I can put my expertise in place to help them you know, do that quicker than I did it, for example. Is so, it any categories particular or does it matter? It doesn't really matter. Like I'm, I'm actually just starting to work with a um, supplement brand that's doing ex excellently well in the UK mm. and they want to break into the Middle East. So now I'm working with them to develop their product in the Middle East and get it in here and logistically get it on the ground in the Middle East. So there's there's lots of different like ways that I can work because essentially if you've got a brand, it's a brand. It doesn't matter whether you're selling supplements or underwear or, you know, fashion, it's 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 all the same, you yeah. know? So any brand uh, we can work with to help it grow, basically. And, and so how do you divide your time now between the different things? <laughs> <laughs> Million dollar question. Yeah, <laughs> that is a tough one. Um, I try, I mean, I try to be 50-50, but it's not always the way. Um, the consultancy takes a lot more of my time just because I have more demand of more, more people asking me to do stuff. Um, and the brand I'm kind of moving into maybe an investment type of area. So I'm kind of in talks about how to grow that with, with other people because I can't do it alone. Like I really do need someone to take that baby and like grow it into something else that's bigger than me you know yeah interesting so so 50 50 but if you're if you're doing the consultancy it's service-based so it's your hours and your time mm. and especially with those type of companies there's a lot of effort needed in the building phase isn't there yeah um and it what I love about that though is I can consult so when I when I was working before like with Majal Patain for example we had a huge project to design and develop for them for like to do these uh, uniform projects mm. and that lasted five years and that was a lot of on the ground like physically like you know working with the collections working with the business units we did 18 business units for them across the gulf so it, we were busy mm. and that just took all of our time whereas now with the young brands that are coming or the you know the medium weight brands that are already got something they've already built they've already there they just need me to say all right this is what you need to do next so actually it's a lot easier on my time because i can they're doing it it's their business you know like i'm just saying all right this will be quicker than this I've tried this before, this didn't work, maybe this is better, you know, like that type of stuff. It's a lot more direct consulting, so I can, and then they go off and they, they do it, and then they come back and they're like, right, we did it, now what? 
So that actually is a lot less on my time when I because I can see a lot more brands in a short space of time. And you know, when people speak to you like I am now, they'll understand what you know in the industry, and you've been in it for a couple of decades. And you know, like you, you know, you've been around, yeah. you know, you know what you're doing. But do you then change how you're positioning? Is it Deborah heading the brand, and then Deborah heading the consultancy? Yeah. And does the business structure change? Um, even licensing and things like that yeah yeah it does actually because you're selling a product um, yeah it's a bit of a tricky one I, I see why it kind of get a little bit confusing I suppose but you know I kind of utilize the fact that I've got this brand and I've built it and it's there and I've, yeah. what I've done more recently is separate the two completely so before it was all mingled up into one website and whatever and now now we're seven years into the consultancy I was like maybe we should have its own website <laughs> like so this week literally like I split it and I was like right let's make it very clear that this is my brand this is a company let's move towards investment for this company so that it can generate its own like team and work separately and become a brand identity within itself yeah. and i am the consultancy side of things where it's like if you want this you know this wealth of knowledge then this is where you come and you can access that via online courses or one to one or Exactly. It can once you kind of break that out, it can go so many places. It like can, yeah. When you mentioned supplements, I didn't even think of that. Mm. But then, you know, like in designing, like you know, there's there's apparel or there's fashion design, there's high end, there's mm. retail, there's so much, yeah. And and then there's interior and there's homes and there's commercial and there's just so much. Is this it's just <laughs> anyone with a brand, basically? You know, anyone that has a brand needs to have these things in place so that to make sure that they're in the right direction and not faffing around. You know, I wish. I kind of wish I'd had that kind of direction mm. when I was starting out, you know, like, okay, you need to do one, two, three, four, five to build it cohesively, coherently and be consistent. Um, I just, I just, the long, you know, I didn't have that, unfortunately. So I feel like that's probably my, my why is that it's me 20 years ago going, oh my God, what do I do? And someone that's super passionate and that really wants to make it work and really wants to do this as a business, mm. um, you know, and just needs a little bit of guidance and support to make it, to get them to the next phase, really. And what about, you know, we heard a recent announcement that the Dubai Fashion Week is now on the official circuit. Mm. So it's kind of up there with Milan, with Paris, with New York and London. And do you think that that changes the industry, gives it more credibility here? Yeah, I mean, it's growing. Let's see. It'll be, it'll be interesting, but I think it'll take time. I mean, you know, I don't know yet what you'd have to go to see what, what's going to happen with those types of events. But you would want the buyers from... Bloomingdale's, Harvey Nichols, like Gallery Lafayette, these places go into Dubai Fashion Week instead of France, uh, Paris and London and New York. Whether they will or not, I don't know, time will tell. And in the way that you <clears> described <throat> it is that, you know, if they did and if they found a Dubai-based designer, then that's that entity, that person's route to uh, to these stores globally, so export business basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it, it would depend. Like here they have Bloomingdale's and have Nichols, so it might be a local regional yeah. thing I immediately, which would which would be good. But then obviously, yeah, like they ha have connections with everybody else, right? So yeah. you would want really ideally you'd want the whole region coming into Dubai for that. But you know, it takes time. These I don't, I'm not sure that I'd, just having a fashion week is enough. You know, it needs to yeah. garner that trust and respect. Um, that maybe 
we need to work on a little bit, you know. And what about, uh, you know, what about the industry in general in terms of globally? Like a lot of other people are using Dubai as their base for global. Uh, you know, are you, in the last 10 years, have you seen a lot more designers and fashion-based people being based out of Dubai? Yeah, my goodness. When I came here like 13 years ago, I keep, is it 13? I think it's around 13. There was no one. It was a handful of designers. They were all evening wear designers. Um, now there's there's so many. There's so many brands, so many cool brands, you know, things that have developed out of Dubai. Um, there's a lot more people building small businesses, like even even homegrown ones, you know, that you see at like Right Market and stuff like that. People trying it out and, and giving it a go. Um, <clears throat> and some of these businesses, you know, they've gone from strength to strength. Like we have, uh, I was doing a, like you just mentioned before, we were talking market OTB. It's where we, where I started out basically, yeah. you know, doing market like outdoor events. Um, and I started with a brand that was right next to me called Draw Deck and we got to know them. You might know them. Yeah. And they're smashing it. They're like, you know, they've, they've got, now obviously they don't do events in fields anymore. And they've got, you know, um, corporate um, accounts and it's not just online you know they've built it they've really scaled it very well and they've very cleverly and they nice. seem to be absolutely smashing it and it's lovely to see brands like that growing out of oh we're going to give this a go and see you know this is what we're passionate about and then they end up you know yeah really good companies that are doing good work Dubai yeah. can do that but also do you see more appetite amongst investors with the brands that you work with than there was 10 years ago is there more uh, is there more money going around? Is there more knowledge of like what investing in a product or a fashion brand in the region can do? Mm, there's definitely more conversation about it. Again, like when I started, there was nothing really, you know, there was no co-working hubs or anything like that. There was not really anything like all the things I was used to in the UK um, being in these networking events where you might potentially get in, in front of an investor didn't didn't exist when I yeah. came so like yeah you know and then there's things like Endeavor that are there just purely for growth it's there's there's a lot of really cool things if you've got a product and that you really believe in and that is a really good product you can make it quickly in this region yeah. I would say quicker than you could at home yeah it's interesting like because we, we know about the startup space and the VCs and the angels mm. and all that but in in this industry we don't know as many like i'm thinking of success stories right mm. there's huda beauty mm. that brand yeah i think yesterday was their 10 year anniversary or something i might have that wrong but yeah. there was something uh, 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 you know a milestone that was passed and and what they did is they were so successful they set up an investment entity that tries to do similar yeah uh, so that must be good for the yeah. ecosystem yeah 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 amazing like how, how amazing is that and that's because you know she's built that company herself and understands what it takes and then still at the heart of that business and can then say right this is valuable I can pass this on to other people you know it's not dissimilar to what I'm doing maybe on a smaller scale but, like, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, did you ever consider because it was interesting when you were talking about the supply chain chain and the b2b uh for, I, I guess your brand was a little bit more high-end but you know this term digital native vertical brand where people go direct to consumer mm. was that something that you considered and are, are you doing that now with are you advising people how to take that road route? direct to consumer instead of yeah absolutely you have to you have to have your own e-commerce you have to you really have to be direct to consumer and you can make obviously your margin becomes a 
a lot bigger, um, but you still need to be able to sell. But well, I mean, for me anyway, I feel like those routes still need to be open. Mm. So a lot of things, a lot of problem that I see with the young brands is that, um, like I had a meeting the other day with one that, another brand from the UK that wants to break in here and her margins only built for her to sell directly to consumer. And I'm like, that's great. And it means that the consumer's getting a real price product, but she can't sell into store because there's no there's no margin for the store to be able to get involved. So you have to kind of think, right, well, that needs to be in the strategy of what am I going to do? Am I going to just be direct to consumer? In which case you can make your margin and the customer gets a really good product, not, not so highly marked up. Or do you want to be in retail? In which case you need to build that in. That's so interesting when you put it like that. Like if you start out one way, it's almost hard to allow the other door to open. Yeah. And then you don't have the strategy. So that's really something that's one of the keys that I put in place is pricing of like, right, well, what's the end goal here? Because if you're going to be online only and you're going to just sell direct to consumer, then we need to, in that price point that you're going to have, we need a massive marketing budget for online digital. Like yeah. we need to have X amount built in every much every month to spend um, like what you would be giving as the cut to absolutely the, you yeah, need to yeah. bake yes. that in otherwise yeah. the margins aren't real absolutely and then but then you see that direct growth for your business mm. rather than giving it to somebody else yeah yeah you know some of the one of the um, great things for me for PR was when I was in Harvey Nichols so it's not like it, it does your brand good service to be in brand like in companies like that to be placed on the floor of Harvey Nichols it's amazing if I'd have just gone direct to consumer and used that capital to put it into digital and grow the brand in itself, who knows? I don't know like what what would be a better outcome. It's hard mm. to know, right? But the the best case scenario is that you can do both. Yeah, um, but you need but that's where you need real capital to be able to do. And it. and like I, I think other people in other industries can relate. Like some people say in the restaurant business that the the you know the delivery apps that they're taking that. Yes. X percent mm -hmm. then yeah. you know if they had their own app but as as you said it's kind of you know you need to do both but the other thing that you could do as well as the distributor as well as e-commerce or to consumers have your own bricks and mortar have your own store uh, did you ever look at that? Expense yeah you've done yeah. the markets yeah but, but did you cost it like is it is it it needs investment right of course because you need to be able to rent that space and mm. deck it out and do the interior design and then you have to have people standing there like a lot you know retail in Dubai is it's open really <laughs> a long time like how many hours a day is retail but yeah like that you need you need to be able to you know have a runway of like mm. I don't know maybe five years of how that is going to work out because and not many brands have that. So then we have to find out how we're going to get in front of the eyes of the customer um, online in in face and possibly with a small showroom or something like that without being, yeah. yeah. Or we negotiate with, you know, manage off team, see what we can get. Yeah, there's very <laughs> few, obviously, who do it independently. Like when you go to the stores, the brands are different, but they're all owned by one apparel group or whatever. They're, mm. So they can, they can uh, sort of cover it that way, right? Well... How Magic of Tame works is they have like the umbrella and then underneath they own the, so they own like Carrefour and Vox. So it's like a, it's a company that's owned within the Magic of Tame. So of course yeah. they're going to give them floor space because it's their company. Mm. I don't know if it's a franchise, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it, it's a Magic of Tame brand. So yeah. if you go to any of their malls, you're going to see all their brands plus whoever else can afford to be in there. Mm. So yeah, and yeah that's you know that's but in, in general your view is that like even though we're there's a big digital world it is good to have that physical presence whether mm -hmm. it's b2b on the shop floor harvey mm -hmm. nichols whether it's 
some sort of exposure that, yeah. that that's definitely needed yeah, in depend- fashion. Absolutely. Like depending on your strategy, there are brands that are all online. Absolutely. But like I said, you need to be able to have that backup of continual online marketing strategy and how that's going to go and how it's going to grow. Mm. Um, in my personal experience, like a brand I've just worked with at the moment, they have just launched online. They launched a product, they launched online. People are interested in it. We can see, we can look at the data and say, oh, people are clicking on this, this, and this. But the reality is they're also going to want to touch it because this is a new brand, so they don't know it. So if she had a placement in Harvey Nichols or Bloomingdale's or Gallery Lafayette or anywhere like that, people might go and buy it from there for the first time. And then after that, they will buy it online, which is what I saw with my brand. Once people had touched it and felt it and knew what their size was, they were like, cool, I'll buy online. Mm. So like 80% of my sales were from people that I already had sold to at some point at an event mm. um, or or in in-store or something like that. Yeah. Because as a new brand, you need to have that touch point. People need to know. Even me when I'm shopping, like the first thing I always do, this is nice, what do I do? I go to the composition of the fabric because I need to know because I know if I, if I see viscose or I see cotton or I see, you know, I can tell what I'm going to get. Like if it's, you know, if it's 100% polyester, I'm like, okay, this looks amazing on the model. But I know that when I re- re- when I receive it, I'm not going to be happy with it. So I don't bother. <laughs> whereas whereas I see other brands and I see the composition, I'm like, oh, this is going to be really nice. What's good? What should we be looking out for? <clears throat> well, natural naturals instead of synthetics is always a good start. Like if you're going to go polyester, down the route polyester, it's synthetic. It's cheaper to, to produce and probably shinier. And, you know, there's some really good like man-made ones like viscose and stuff that can look beautiful. Um... But then obviously, if you're going for your silks and your cashmeres and your wools and your cottons and things like that, it's always going to be better quality. Mm. It's always going to look and feel more mm. more beautiful. Interesting. Good to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never look at those yeah. materials. But Well, if you're shopping online, it's a good way. It's a good like marker to, yeah. to see like if you're going to buy a shirt and it's 100% polyester and then you go onto another brand and it's 100% cotton, you're going to be like, mm, probably going to be that one that's better, the cotton version. Okay, interesting. And Deborah, what else are the trends now? I want to talk about sustainability uh, in a second, but in terms of, you know, uh, what consumers are buying, like during the pandemic, we saw a lot of athleisure. We saw, you know, people didn't think they'd be wearing suits again. They're not changed. <laughs> but like, do you see different trends in what people are buying, like uh, in stores and just in general in fashion? It always goes with that wave, doesn't it? Like, I don't know if you've seen the 90s trend that's hit recently. Oh, my goodness. I, like, I remember it the first time around, so I'm like completely cringe. I was in a store the other day, and this lady was like, what about these, madame? She pulled out these cargo pants, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I literally wore those. I was like, no, sorry, I'm too old for that. And she's like, no, don't be silly. Like, no, no, literally, I wore those the first time around. I can't wear those. So, so yeah, there's always like, you know, the continual trends. Right now we have the double denim. Everything's denim. Everyone wants to wear denim. Denim on top, denim on bottom. And it's very like 90s. It's got that such a 90s, like grungy feel to it. Um, and the people who didn't see it the first time think it's cool. They're all like, oh, wow. Like I was, <laughs> and we're kind of yeah, like, uh... oh, God, like, I can't, you know. It's very like Spice Girls kind of. I'm just like, oh, no. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and again, it's a continual cycle that's led by the brands that are showing it at fashion weeks and stuff like that. And then they, you know, the, the, the um, online will pick out the, the 
sorry, the magazines and things like that will pick out, the editors will pick out, okay, for this season, the color is cobalt blue. And then, you know, you'll see that trickle down into the into the Zara's and the Massimo duties and things like that. You'll see mm. the cobalt blue that was on the runway. It's a lot quicker now. That, that runway is a lot shorter in terms of time. So it used to be like six months, you'd see it on the runway, six months later, it'd be in the store. Whereas now it's just like, bam, bam, bam. Like, that window is It's just so, so much shorter. Like it, people like Zara have things from the runway colors, shapes within like six weeks. It's mm. just bonkers, you know? And then you also have to then as a young business factor that in. Um, so yeah, that's why I don't gen generally follow any major trends with my brand because it just adds a level pressure. of pressure. Yeah. yeah. And also so you can't compete with like people like, you know, that are, that are smashing out eight, 10, 12, 24 collections a year. Like mm. how, how can you compete with it? Yeah, so. that, that Chinese, is a Chinese uh, fashion brand, Sheen? Sheen, yeah. And, yeah. and do, aren't they known for being able to almost create a product based on searches, even though it's not already made? So they, they literally yes. react to the demand. Yes, yeah. And that is like, wow, that is impressive, no? Like, mm. look, like, that's probably where it's going, actually. Like, you know, much more towards the data of what people want. And when you talk, touch on a sustainability, maybe it's better because if we just look at the data and the demand of what people actually want and only create products that are going to be sold and worn and used mm. rather than this kind of old school way, which is build your collection, make it, make it all, sell it out. You know, it's like, it, it's, not, it's not sustainable. It's a lot of waste, yeah. Yes, there's a lot of waste, yeah. But, the, but fast fashion is definitely still dominant. Oh my God. And it, and it's detrimental also because it's just churn, 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 churn. You know, like Sheen, the way they're doing it, if they're just doing it on demand only, that could be really interesting. It could be a way to avoid that. But most of the models are smash it out hundreds of thousands and what doesn't sell gets burnt or whatever it is they do. I'm not sure exactly what they do with it, but it's just churn, man, mm. hundreds of thousands. Mm, interesting. Waste, yeah. And so what, what are you kind of, what are you excited about this year and what are you working on? Moments. I'm excited to potentially take the brand um, out open for investors and try to build that out. There's been discussions about making it into more of a lifestyle brand, so extra products in there. Nice. Not just women's wear, that would be amazing. Um, and then the consultancy side. So yeah, only recently we've kind of opened up that consultancy side to younger businesses, the ones that are either just starting out where I have built an online course. So that is specifically for fashion designers, but I'm building a second version, which is just for brands, that just to make sure they've got all those like fundamentals in place to make sure they're doing the really good stuff right first before they go on to try and grow. How, how does that technically work? Is it, are you making videos? Is it like a masterclass of yeah, people signing up? that's exactly up? what it is, yeah. I've already, so the fashion one's already built. I'm just in the middle of doing the, the second one now for other brands, any type of brand. Mm. And they're online. And so what I've done on my, on my new website is I've got three platforms. I've got launch, grow, and thrive. So the launch platform is obviously launching at people that are wanting to start out, don't know where to start. A really accessible, easy way to do it is to download, or you don't download it, but you watch online step-by-step step, my 18 years of experience that I've plowed into this course. The second one, which is coming out probably in about a month, is going to be for any type of brand that needs to launch and or, or is already launched actually, um, and needs those really good things in place that maybe I didn't do 18 years ago that I wish I had done, um, that a more updated 2023 version of like, what do you need to do as a brand 
in today's day and age in this country and in internationally to make an impact and to make a brand that's going to stick and going to work and make you money because at the end of the day you know so many brands come to me and they're like you know I I want this is what I want and they're like yeah but is it making you money though? Like, you know, is this a hobby or is this a business? Like they just want to do like fun stuff. And I'm like, well, that's great. But look at your bottom line. Like we need to make, we need to make this make money. Otherwise we, this is going to be dead in the water, you know, like let's, let's rejig and make sure that this is making money. So, yeah. um, so that's the, the launch. And how, so, so you're working with brand designers and then that's open to brands uh, as well. And, you know, do you sign up a cohort of people to take it at a certain time or is it always on? Yeah. Yeah, so what I'm doing, there's two the two that are going to be online are just going to be there for anyone who wants to do it at their own pace. But as and when um, I, am, I am going to do uh, a, a strip release one, which is which will have me live also, because I, it depends on, on the feedback of the data that comes through. But um, I think I'm going to do it as a six-week course that's, that's, you know, drip feed every week, and then you get a one-to-one with me on, on live as well. Mm. So that you get to ask questions that are specifically for your business as well. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. And and beyond that, beyond what you're doing with, with your brand and with your business, it, how, what's your view on the region? You know, you you know Dubai well, like, I, do you think we're in a good time and, and you look at kind of expansion across the region? Mm, I'd love to, yeah. I mean, with the brand, uh, what I'd like to do with the brand is, like I said, like grow it into more of a lifestyle brand. Um, and of course, expansion across the region is, you know, like everyone would love that. With the um, helping other brands and the consultancy, I really would like to work with Saudi because I just think that there's so much movement there at the moment. So many exciting things happening. Um, I know that the Chamber of Commerce are like really putting some effort in. I'm seeing things happen. I'm like, oh, this is Dubai, like kind of. A few years ago, you know, like they're starting to put the things in place, stoking the fire of getting some entrepreneur, you know, movement. So I really would. I'm sure there's plenty of talent there that we've not seen yet. That's not had that platform of help that we, that I could really mm. help with. So, yeah, Dubai will always be like the first place that I will that I'll work. But it would like I would like to work across the region. Yeah. And just interesting. So, uh, you know, when you work with young brands and you know they've they're sort of maybe haven't taken investment or they're they're mm. bootstrapping it or whatever do you ever do equity as a form of payment in yeah, terms of that's something that's come up recently actually yeah um it's something that's also in discussion um it's not a no <laughs> so yeah maybe it's just something that's on the table at the minute yeah because uh, like when when you look at how famous sports people generated extra revenue you know, that's the type of deals that they did rather than just the sponsorship deal, like people like Roger Federer, LeBron James and people like that. And like, I, I just think in, in terms of the consultancy piece that if, if you're helping the brands grow and if there's a big opportunity in the region, then, you know, maybe that could be, obviously you, your services are valued, et cetera, but like the, you know, that could be lucrative as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then it's a case of, do I, do I, do a, does it light me on fire? The, the company, yeah. you know, because. And what would? Yeah, well, exactly. That's it. It depends. It depends, what, yeah. depends what comes in front of me, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm very passionate and I'm super curious and I love business and growth. So it depends what comes across my desk really. But um, mm. yeah, I would, uh, it depends if it's just, it's one of those personal things, right? Same with you. If you were going to invest in something, you have to feel, uh, you have to feel it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But is it so? Is it is it broad? Like you know, I was, the supplements thing is interesting. But like, is it, is it anything kind of consumer lifestyle? 
you know, what if it was a, a fitness yeah. check, anything? Yeah, but, but any brand, any mm. brand that's a brand that wants to grow, build, scale, mm. that's what that's what we do. Um, and obviously my background is fashion, but it can be, we'll see what happens with the supplement brand, but they've got a very, she's very switched on, very smart lady and a very particular route. They just want to go completely online um, and they need access to the region. So that's kind of... Um, yeah, a little bit out of what I've done before, but doesn't say doesn't mean we can't do it. It's great. There's yeah. a lot of people that are looking to come to the region, which is exciting for yeah. everyone here. Especially because, you know, all the markets are really struggling right now. And like, as you said, you know, what, what's, how's Dubai doing? I think it's doing all right. Mm. You know, people are still buying. People are still, okay, it's changing. So you have to be very aware of what's happening in the market and how mm. those interactions with companies are, you know, the B2B and all that type of stuff. It is changing. But... It is more lucrative than the UK, for example. The Amazing. UK is just like, at the moment, you know. <laughs> That's a thumbs we'll down. Just wait, we'll just wait for that one to catch up again yeah, at yeah. some point. Yeah. Brilliant, Deborah. Really pleasure talking Thank to you, you this so morning. Much. Thanks, Thanks for a me. lot. It's great to see how you've progressed into all these different areas and good to catch up on the podcast. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. That was really interesting. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you to our producers. The guys behind this podcast are Ali Khalil, Ali Baba, and Shahir Al-Kindi. Without them, uh, they do everything in terms of the audio, the sound, the video, and the distribution. It's on Smashy.tv. It's on all the apps. It's on Apple, Angami, Spotify, and you'll see articles on Love in Dubai and different clips this week. It'll be on Smashy Style on Instagram, Smashy Business, and things like that. Also, thank you to our sponsor, Step Conference. The 11th edition is in du Dubai next week. I'll be hosting a fireside chat with Chris Leacock, all about the music industry. He's done collabs with Beyonce. He's AKA Jillionaire. That's at quarter past 10 on Wednesday, the 22nd. So please, if you're at step, do pass by. And we do have a big announcement that I'm waiting. I'll tell you guys next week to announce about Dubai Works Business Podcast, but we've got something cool coming up. So I'll tell you more about that next week. Uh, enjoy the week and uh, chat to you next week.